three minutes. Good morning. It is nice to see all of you this morning. I appreciate David's songs and uh, Robert's comments. And uh, I'll just add one brief comment to what Robert said. If uh, any of you guys are interested in that cryogenic option, I can hook you up in my deep freeze for 5000 <laughs> I promise if there's a hurricane, you get the generator first. <laughs> oh, my. As I told Robert, that's low-hanging fruit. And I just, <laughs> I, I've got a couple others, but I'll get in trouble if I say those, and so I'll just pass, and we'll just get into our lesson. Um, if you haven't already done so and you are able, please don't forget that the blood mobile is here. You can wear your blue badge of honor and uh, help some people out. And so if you're able, I'm sure they would be glad to see you after the assembly. Uh, thank you for all of you who participated last week in our ministries fair. I think it was a, an extremely successful event. It was exciting. The energy level was really high. And uh, hopefully... Um, uh, you've been contacted or will be contacted shortly by the various ministry leaders. Uh, if you didn't get a copy of the booklet, they are available at the Welcome Center. And, uh, and you can look through there. And if you're interested in participating in a ministry or if you have some ideas that you'd like to share, please contact me and I'd be glad to, uh, to chat with you about that. Um, in last Sunday's sermon, we looked at one of the more well-known of Jesus' parables, the parable of the soil, sometimes called the parable of the sower. But, uh, but, but truly, it is about the different soils. And that parable is found in the first half of Mark chapter 4. Today, we're going to look at the latter half of Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. And in this chapter, in the rest of this chapter, Jesus tells three more parables. One that talks about a lamp and then two more about seeds. And so we get the title for our sermon. Now, if, if some of you were expecting a different type of CD story... Uh, I am uh, sorry to disappoint, but, uh, but these are the stories about seeds that, uh, that, that Jesus talked about. Keep in mind that as we read through the book of Mark, that one of Mark's overarching purposes is not only to tell us about Jesus, but really to teach us how to follow him. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What do we do? What should we think? What should our attitudes be? And the gospel, as we've noticed, emphasize action. Immediately Jesus does that, and then immediately he goes here, and then immediately he does that. There are only two real teaching segments in the book, one in chapter 4 and then the other in chapter 13. And those are important, but Mark has combined those teaching elements to, uh, together for us. And so once we finish this, well, then we'll jump back into more action and the overriding question that should be in the back of our minds as we work through these texts together is, how does this teach me to follow Jesus? How does this teach me to be a better disciple? How can I better follow what Jesus has left me as an example, and how can I live through that? So we're going to read through the text, uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 21 and following. You can pull it up on your, uh, your device or in your Bible, or you can read along on the screen. Uh, this is the New Living Translation, which will help with uh, some of the more obscure uh, uh, translation elements. So this is the text. Uh, Jesus said to them, Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Uh, of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will be eventually brought into the open, 
and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding will be given to you, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, and he doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through, and then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade. Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables or stories. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. So we have three parables here, and the emphasis that Jesus used stories a lot. There's something about stories that connect with people. We can see ourselves in the story or in the text. It becomes real. And so he begins talking about a lamp, and this sounds like a overtly obvious situation. You would never put a lamp under a basket or under the bed. But but sometimes we do, like, if I wanted to say something aside, I'll cover up the mic and say something to David so that I might somehow muffle. And so we might do that, but what Jesus is saying is, even though things might not be quite as clear, that's not how we would communicate. Sooner or later, everything that is being said in between the disciples among those closed circles will eventually be spread and made known to everyone. And then verses 24 and 5 have this, what many commentators refer to, the economics of hearing. Uh, You're you're familiar with the phrase, uh, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He's talking about the economics of spirituality. Those who are interested and invested in in listening will reap more benefit than those who don't care. And those who don't care will find their interest waning and going down lesser uh, to a lesser and lesser degree. How much importance do you give to what Jesus said? I think many of you know that my dad is a, uh, is a writer, and he started off doing a little bit of economics, but then his real uh, uh, bread and butter, as it were, his passion was sports writing. Uh, When he was stationed in Japan, first as a child when his dad was stationed in Japan, and then later when he himself was stationed there, he tried to find things to write about that no one else was writing about. That was his little niche. And so, since sumo wrestling was a big thing in those days, he wrote a book in English, probably the very first in English at the time, to ever be written about sumo wrestling. It was just a short little book. 
But, but the neatest thing was in the book he had a fold-out where you could pull the pages out and, uh, and had the imprint of one of the largest sumo wrestler's hands and just had that imprint. And, and it would come to a much larger size, but it was kind of neat. Uh, the other thing that fascinated him while he was there was Japanese baseball. And he began following Japanese baseball and accumulating the statistics between uh, uh, and comparing Japanese baseball players versus U.S. players. And if they were matched up in a head-to-head, who would win? And he would always side with the Japanese. Um, It was convenient for him at that particular time because he was living in Japan. There have been a number of Japanese baseball players who had very successful careers in Japan to come to the United States and play in the major leagues. And one of the more well-known, in fact, he has a little bit of a Miami connection, is the guy named, is the player, uh, Ichiro Suzuki. We all know him just by his first name is Ichiro. Well, um, Ichiro played with the Seattle uh, 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 Mariners for many, many years and then got traded here. He was here for three years, and now he's back in, in the Northwest. Um, and, and he is a world-class hitter. Uh, over his 18-year career, his batting average, combined batting average for 18 years was 311 which in baseball terms is, is, is pretty good. His on-base percentage, the times that he got on base after making it to home plate to bat, was 355, which also is, is pretty good. He's won numerous awards, uh, most valuable player and others. Well, when you're a hitter or a batter, uh, the most important instrument that you have is your bat. And Ichiro takes his bat and his bats very, very seriously. They are handmade in Japan by the Mizuno Sports Company. And they're made from a specific type of wood that grows on the island of Hokkaido. And after he hits, he doesn't throw his bats into a canvas bag or throw them down in the dirt like other players will do. He puts them, he has eight bats, and he puts them into a custom-made suitcase that is shockproof, that is moisture-proof, that has pellets inside to remove whatever moisture there might be on the inside. It's a dehumidifying case that absorbs all the moisture. Because Ichiro knows that his livelihood depends on those bats. If his bats aren't in pristine condition and if he's not taking care of them, his very livelihood and life could suffer. And and what Jesus is saying is, if you take care to listen to God's word with this kind of intensity, with this kind of focus, you will be rewarded. And it's going to open up even the desire to be more involved in his hearing. But if you're the kind of person that after you hit, you just throw your bat away, and throw it into the dirt or you snap it over your knee like Bo Jackson used to do, then it's probably the bat themselves, the bats are not going to be that important to you. What is important is what you value. And as individuals in today's world, as disciples of Christ, we can ask ourselves, how much do I value God's word? How much do I value what he says? Is it important enough for me to listen to it and really try and pay attention? Well, (coughs) after that parable and (coughs) explanation, uh, Jesus shares two parables about growing seeds. 
And the first is the growing seed where regardless of the farmer's actions or his intentions, the seed is growing all by itself. And then we have the parable of the mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed is an interesting uh, parable. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard it and thought about it. Um, so, some people think that the, the, the idea uh, that what Jesus is trying to get at is because it's such a small thing, the tendency is to think that it's not important, but it actually has great value. It, it's kind of like the most expensive spice in the world. Uh, the most expensive spice in the world is not a spice that's elaborated by humankind. It's actually part of a plant. It's those reddish-yellow uh, stems uh, from a plant. Uh, and, and the value comes in the difficulty in growing the plant and then in harvesting the plant and then drying the little strands to make up saffron. Uh, saffron can cost, even though we would never buy it in this kind of quantity, but it can cost upwards of $5,000 a pound. And so even though it's just a little tiny thing, it's going to cost you $10 to get uh, enough for a dish or two. Um, and so maybe the mustard seed, what Jesus is saying is it's small, but it has a lot of importance. And it's talking about the value of the, something small like the mustard seed. Well, what's striking is that Jesus chose a mustard plant. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard plant or have much experience with mustard plants, but I'll show you a picture of one in just a second. What's striking is he didn't choose a really good tree. I mean, of all the trees that Jesus could have chosen, why didn't he choose like a redwood or a sequoia? These huge, majestic, massive trees that have lived for thousands. Some of the trees, are, in fact, were in existence around the time of Jesus. And you can go visit them over in California and on the East Coast, uh, the West Coast. But, but if this is talking about the kingdom, why doesn't Jesus use the image of a majestic, strong, invincible kind of tree with powerful branches that, that it's just orderly and symmetrical and it's just the perfect kind of tree? Well, his readers and listeners wouldn't have known anything about redwoods. And so they did have a tree. It was called the Cedars of Lebanon. Sometimes we'll sing songs about the Cedars of Lebanon. And, and here's a picture of one. And again, it looks like a very majestic, uh, 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 organized kind of a tree. The branches are all there, and it looks like it's just doing its function. Uh, it, you know, if Jesus were to choose an image of what does the kingdom of God look like, that would be probably a good fit. But he didn't. He didn't choose a huge tree like the sequoias or the redwoods. He didn't even choose a local tree that was significant in its strength and the wood production and the shade and all of the things. He chose a mustard plant. And this is what a huge overgrown mustard plant looks like. That's not very impressive. It's kind of unruly. It's kind of unorganized. It's kind of hither and there. And the mustard plant is made up of these vines that grow into small branches. But it's nothing really pretty to look at. <laughs> it's a bit cumbersome to deal with if you had that growing in your garden. It doesn't provide much shade. 
And it strikes me that this is the image Jesus wanted for us to have about the kingdom of God. This is what God's kingdom looks like. Not like some majestic tree where everything's in place and it provides exactly what we think it should. But rather, an unruly, unorganized, complicated, messy kind of a plant. And he says, when you think of God's kingdom, and when you expect God's kingdom... Don't base your expectations on a cedar of Lebanon. And don't base your expectations on a California redwood. Base your expectation on a mustard plant. Because, see, a mustard plant fits a whole lot more how my life looks and what my experience with churches look like. Because churches are messy. And people are like vines that go every which way. And sometimes they go up and sometimes they go down and sometimes they go left and sometimes they go right and sometimes they don't go anywhere. (laughs) And my life does not always produce the way that I would like it to. And these parables about the seed teach me that that my expectation shouldn't be that after making a decision to follow Jesus, after saying yes, after putting my name on the dotted line, and after beginning this journey, then all of a sudden my messy life is going to get transformed into a giant redwood. See, that's the game I play in my mind. And that's the expectation I have of churches is like, wow, you know, we should have every ministry, every ministry leader, every coordinator, every elder, every deacon, every minister, every secretary doing exactly their job in the most amazing, perfect way possible. And there should never be any kind of problems. And all of you who have been connected with church, all of you who have been connected with families know this is kind of what our families look like. Every now and then I meet a family that looks like they've been redwoods, but, you know, they they get struck by lightning too. (laughs) But this is the image Jesus wants to leave with us. This is the image. And I think when when he gives us this image, it, it helps us understand kind of what church is all about. Church is working with people one by one, helping them disentangle themselves from whatever issues and situations they have in the world and learning how to form part of a messy yet somewhat cohesive family. And so many of you have have disengaged and untangled yourself from addictions and, and, and from selfishness and thinking only about yourself from prejudice, from from attitudes that are truly ungodly, and you're making the effort to unengage yourself, disengage yourself from those things and, and become a part of this larger family. And once you get here, please know that you haven't left the mess behind. <laughs> that this church is as messy as your, my, your, your, your life. I'm trying to say life. (laughs) 
Oh boy, here we go. See, and I did so good. I was doing so well. Because I didn't say publicly that the easiest way to spend $2 million was to get a wife. I didn't say that. I was doing so well. (laughs) But what you'll find when you throw your lot in with the Sunset Church is that we're not perfect people (laughs) with a trunk that's so solid that wind won't blow us down. You're going to find people who, who mess up who don't fulfill their obligations and responsibilities. You're going to find people that long for a better life. And I hope you'll feel at home. Now, we are still walking after Jesus, and we're still following in his path, and we're still learning what it looks like. But you won't find, hopefully, at this congregation, people that say, we've arrived, and we're waiting for you to catch up. You know, the imagery Jesus uses isn't of marching armies, of heroic deeds, but basic, humble dirt and seeds and plants. And even as he's talking about plants, he doesn't choose the most successful and desirable of the plants. He chooses a plant that appears kind of ugly, doesn't look like much. But inside that plant, there's a lot of life happening. You know, the world doesn't work the way we would like it to. And our faith in God to follow what he's asked us to do, to love him, to love other people, to be at peace with as many people as possible, to do good to everyone that we come across, to leave vengeance to him and to live life with an attitude of forgiveness. Those challenges sometimes leave us wanting justice, demanding justice. And what Jesus will demonstrate by his very life, that if we will follow him, there will be justice, but it might not be in my lifetime. And there will be reconciliation and retribution, but it'll be on God's time and not mine. And so these parables instill us with a sense that there is something happening, even though we can't see it. And we can have confidence instead of just despair. These parables teach us that our success doesn't depend on just on our feeble efforts, but really on God. And then lastly, they encourage us to have patient faith that doesn't give up, that continues to take care of our bats that continues to value small things, that continue to appreciate the messiness of life in a church family. And together, we'll all 
be journeying together to follow Jesus. If we can pray for you today, we'd love to do so. We're going to stand and sing a song. You can bring your request to the front. Thank you.